This is a production of KMMedia.pro. Welcome back to Positive Talk Radio. Our goal is simple, to explore evolving ideas one conversation at a time. So come on over into our world. I know you'll like it, because on today's show... Do you have kids that are in high school? Do you know somebody who has kids that are in high school? Do you know somebody who has? Anyway, you know, you get what I, you, you get where I'm going with that. Uh, in today's show, we're going to talk about um, preparing for college. You know, Eric, I know that you went to college. And did you have to uh, take out student loans to get that done? <laughs> Luckily, I went to a technical college and I was able to cover it. Uh, with, you know, a part-time job at the time. A little help from dad paying the rent, but, uh, you know, mostly I was able to pay out of pocket. But I understand this is the exception rather than the rule for sure. These days, that's that's what I understand as well. And I know lots and lots of people that um, are so indebted after they get out of college and the career that they've chosen doesn't necessarily pay for the debt that they have incurred over time. And so some people end up with that in their 20s, late mm -hmm. 20s, 30s, and 35 and 40, and and it makes it very, very tough. Now, before we begin, and we've got a wonderful lady who's going to talk to us about uh, getting ready for kids going to college and how best to position them and when they need to start looking at that and that kind of thing. But first, I do have to say that starting the 14th of November, we our Monday show is moving from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., all because we get to have Eric as our producer. <laughs> is that why? <laughs> Fantastic. No, it has actually more to do with the fact that 9 a.m. just is a little early for me to get all excited about, you know, uh, getting everything ready and stuff like that. So I needed a little bit more time. Believe me, as a night owl, I totally understand. So I, I'm excited to be working with you for two days a week now. But it'll, it'll be great fun. It is really hard to get up to spend the rest of your time and go to bed at midnight, one o'clock, and then to get up at 7.30 and prepare for a show, and then to actually be coherent at nine o'clock, even though I'm, I lack coherency most of the time anyway. <laughs> But that's that's okay. But in any event, that starts on the 14th. That will be at 3 p.m. on Monday, 4 p.m. on Wednesday, and noon on Friday. So I hope that you you will tune into that. That'll be great fun, and we've got a full lineup of of guests, and uh, it's gonna it's gonna be fun. Like today, I'm I've I've interviewed this young lady before, and first of all, let me tell you about her. Um, let me see if I can do this without massacring her name. Uh, Honoria uh, De Silva. Kilgore, is that close? It's close. It's an audio, but an audio. I... There you go. When you don't look at it, you say it perfectly. <laughs> well, I can say it right after you say it. That's that's. I I mimic people very very well. But uh, and you are a lawyer, and yeah. you you have been working with people in, in financial matters and long term planning for uh, a long time. Um, but in your bio, one of the things it says is that one of the re recurring themes that comes up is if you are a parent and you're raising a couple of kids and you want, you know, you get, I know what this is like because this is what happened to me. You, uh, you raise your kids, they are 10, they're 12, and you start thinking, well, you know, 
I probably need to start preparing for college. And then they get to be 13 and 14. And then you start say to yourself, you know, I probably need to start preparing for college. <laughs> and then they get to 16 and 17 and they get go into their senior year. And you say to yourself, you know, I probably should get ready to prepare for college. And by that time, it's way too late. And it's been a long time since a lot of us have been in school. And so we don't know how to negotiate through the minefields that are out there with student loans and how it all works, which is why you started your business, which is called PCCI, uh, Personal College Counseling Incorporated. And, uh, and that's why you do what you do. And welcome to the show, by the way. Kevin, thanks for having me back. I, I, you know, like you said, I, I did a little bit of a pivot in my practice because I felt that there was such a need for PD, people getting real information. I, I always feel that information is power and, and knowledge is power and using that knowledge and information to your advantage is, is super helpful, especially when you're looking at the prices of higher education, whether it's public or private, they're all pretty expensive. You know, uh, unlike Eric's experience, that is definitely not how most kids can get through nowadays. And for some of us, you know, we're fortunate we have saved up like since the day these kids were born. <laughs> it's basically oh, sure. Sure. That's, that's going to happen. Do if, if you're really hoping to cover the whole thing. Um, but most people you know, they save what they can when they can, and it's often not enough. So it's a real problem uh, because you also have the emotional factor that factors in like, oh, I, I know this school is supposedly great. So I'm going to like go into debt because someday it'll pay off. And then there's a little bit of an issue with that too. You know, you got to go where is good for you. And and that means a lot of things like academically and financially. My whole point of what I do is, is I take my legal skills, analytical skills, research skills, and know how to use all that. But also to find out, you know, where's the best place with this particular kid exactly the way they are, has a shot at getting some extra funds that can make that place affordable for them, right? And that's yes. so important because you don't want to overborrow. And and this, you know, if you want to talk about the the current Biden loan forgiveness program, that's important too. But it's, you know, it's it's helpful, but it's not gonna with one magic wand sweep away everybody's problems on student loans. But it's certainly helpful. But working with someone like me from the get go, the whole point is not to get in over your head, <laughs> you know. So. You is can it, avoid a lot of issues. Is it true that there are kids, young adults now, or adults in the you know that are graduated from college, that have as much as a hundred thousand dollars in debt or fifty thousand dollars? What what is the average student that doesn't have you know Daddy Warbucks have lots of bucks in his pocket? Um, how much debt do they do they leave college with as a rule? Well, way too much. If, if you go over what I consider reasonable borrowing, I think it's reasonable to have the kids, the young adults, as you said, uh, have some skin in the game and take an interest in help 
helping finance their own education. And that's where the government student guaranteed student loan pro program is excellent. Uh, but you can't rely on that to cover the whole cost of college because it's 5,500 as a freshman, a little bit more as a sophomore and so on. So if you were to just take the guaranteed student loans, you'd be graduating with, I probably should know this off the top of my head, but let's just say $27,000 roughly, maybe 21, somewhere around there. Whatever that is, I think that's a reasonable number and uh, to put into your own education that you can reasonably pay back over the expected time period, which is roughly about 10 years. And if you were to be able to graduate from college and just have that debt, you're looking at the equivalent of maybe a car payment or something, but for a longer period of time. I don't think that's ridiculous. I really don't. But when you graduate from undergrad, the first four years of college, and you have six figures in debt, you have done something massively wrong because that, <laughs> that is not a good head start in life. That is going to impact your ability to make job choices, to move out of mom and dad's basement, to buy a car, to be able to get to work, to start a family, to save money for your own place or a house. That is starting off life with a mortgage and no place to live. And that's, that's not the way to go about things. You know, when we first talked, um, I, I asked you, you know, when should you as a parent and as a, a child that is wanting to go to a four-year quality institution, when should they start planning? And uh, you surprised me because um, your time frame is a lot longer than I would have thought it was. I am not your typical planner, I don't think, because I do have a couple of stereotypes I go up against all the time. And one is, oh, junior year, that's when you start thinking about it. I'm like, junior year on my time frame, you're playing catch up. I would love to grab all my kids as freshmen in high school right after they get their first set of grades, because I can still affect their trajectory. I can help them get on or stay on the right track. Um, I just read something recently, and it was after the last time we talked, that about half of the state's high school requirements for graduating are inadequate to satisfy the basic requirements to get into a decent school. What? Exactly. How? That's insane. How is that even possible? Well, the key example comes up all the time. You know, so many schools are like, they don't make you take a foreign language as a requirement to graduate high school. Or I love this one. You took one year or two years in middle school. So now you only have to take one year of the foreign language because it's like you have three because you took two in middle school. No one gives a flying fig what you did in middle school when you're applying for college. You should be continuing that and taking four years or three years, or at the very least two years, <laughs> right? But so many schools don't even require that. And now the kids are like, oh, how, how come I don't qualify for this nice competitive school? Well, because you don't have the prerequisites to even get in the door, you know, or you only need two years of some sort of science and you're talking to a science-based kid, wants to go to a good program, good school. 
They want more than your basic two years. They want your two years of lab science plus, plus more, you know, and it just isn't enough. But it goes to my point that I always tell parents is one, high school guidance counselors have too much on their plate and their primary job is to make sure your kid graduates high school. They're not there analyzing your finances and what you can afford or not to do. And, oh, maybe this kid should go up a level or down a level based on, you know, what their goals are and how they're doing. No, they're not doing any of that analysis. Of course not. They're looking at your kid. And if you have a good student that's not in trouble, you're going to be lucky. And I say this with 100% certainty, because I have yet to be proven wrong with anyone I've worked with. You're going to get five minutes, if you're lucky, with your guidance counselor, with a pre-printed schedule. Here's what you should take next semester or next year. Nice to see you. Have a nice day. Next. There's no counseling. There's no in-depth look. There's no future planning. They need to get you through the door. Well, they're not really, that's not really their job in, in, their, in the way that they look at it because they've got too many kids on their plate. They've got, how many, on average, in a major high school, how many students does a, the average counselor have? Way too many. I'm in an area where we have um, some big local high schools, so it's not unusual for a guidance counselor to have 130, 150 kids um, at any given time. Um, probably on the low side. And if you have a smaller school, that guidance counselor might be responsible for even more kids and more grades. Um, it's not, it's not ideal. And it's not like that's all they're doing. Like for me in at PCCI, that's all I'm doing. You know, I'm obsessing over this for your one child, right? <laughs> I am not also having to worry if someone came to school that day and they didn't eat, or are they in a safe environment? Or what is going on? Why is this kid showing up in a certain way? And what can we do to keep them safe and healthy and, and still be a good student? Those are important, but they don't help my kids get on track for college. So, so let's say a student or a uh, counselor has got 150 kids. He probably, he or she probably spends the bulk of their time with the 30 or 40 or 50 kids that are in trouble or not doing well, or are skipping school, or have uh, substance abuse problems, or have uh, problems at home, or they've, you know, all that kind of stuff. Just trying to navigate them so that they can survive the high school years and graduate. Yeah, you, you hit it on the head. And, and I have a lot of great kids. And um, sometimes I, I don't have access to everything the school has on them. For example, like, what's your GPA? What's your class rank? Um, what percentage are you in? They're not even going to give the kids this most most of the time till they're seniors, which is very late in the game. I want it earlier if I can get it. And then I'll say to my student, get back in touch with your high school counselor and get this info. And they'll have to wait two, three weeks maybe to even get in the door to ask the question to get the answer versus the way I work. I'm like, uh, I'll text you and I want to answer. <laughs> Or vice versa, you know, or yeah, let's get together this week or tonight or tomorrow or whatever. It's it's a much different 
relationship. And the key is it is actually a relationship. I have a relationship with each one of my students, you know. Well, and I, I need to tell you a story. And to everybody that's listening, uh, this story could apply because this happens all the time. I have a good friend of mine. He is um, he has means. He does well. He has done well. And he was able to provide um, financing to his uh, student, his son, to go to a particular school. Um, his son wanted to go to Arizona State. And the reason he wanted to go there is it is known as a party school. And his dad had no earthly idea. And so he thought, well, Arizona's a nice area and it, it would be good. And so he paid the money up front and for him to go there. And I think the bill for uh, room and board and, and to be a freshman and stuff for the first quarter was like $8,000 just, you know, to, for all of the things that he was going to need to have without having to work and stuff. Well, sadly, he didn't make it past the first quarter because he spent more time partying at the school because he is an 18-year-old kid who's never been on his own before and doesn't have the sense that God gave him uh, uh, a 10-year-old because, you know, because it was party, party. And so consequently, he flunked out of school and his dad was out the money and he never was able to go back uh, because of that thing then that happens doesn't it it does happen sometimes and you're gonna get me off on morality things and, and, and <laughs> well no the reason the reason that i bring that up is that um because you are intimately involved with a kid and have a relationship with the student themselves you can guide them away from hey i want to go to this school because why do you want to go there well it's a great party school and then, and i think that's probably not a great idea for you and, yeah, and well here's the thing there if you want to party you're going to find out you're going to you're going to party and some places are going to make it easier than others for sure. So I'll let you in on the few private conversations that I have with the kids. Because I, I talk to the kids primarily one-on-one. -on -one. I talk with or to the parents as needed. Um, but for the most part, you know, part of my process is trust your student, trust me to get through this and get their real opinions on things and what they're thinking. Um because there's things they're going to tell me they're not going to say in front of their parents or wow. they just close their mouth. Right. And, and mom and dad take over the conversation, which, OK, but that doesn't tell me what they really think. You know, but I think that's a rule of life is, <laughs> is that children, your teenagers are not going to be honest with you as a parent because it, there's no win in being honest with your parent because it's going to be a problem. Well, when I was a kid, my philosophy was what they don't know won't hurt me. So I've <laughs> exactly, that. and that's that's part of the the, uh, the being a being a kid, being a, being a teenager is yeah. And you, you have to understand they you know they they have a certain amount of capacity, and you want to focus on the good stuff and really kind of encourage them to be their better selves. But you also have to be. I think as a parent as, and as an adult, if you want to be included and in, in, in the conversation with them, you don't try to manipulate and control everything they do, but give them techniques and, you know, common sense about how to do things. So one thing <laughs> I always tell the kids before they go away is, you know, 
you should be social. You should socialize with your friends and not everybody's a big partier. And even if you're at a party, it doesn't mean you have to be drinking to oblivion. So start learning, you know, where your limits are, what it feels like to be buzzed. I know some parents can be like, what? nobody drinks before they're 21. <laughs> oh, so, sure. Oh, sure. You know, get some real life experience in a controlled environment, but also the red solo cups are your friend. Nobody knows what's in them. So you can put water in there. You can be drinking soda and nobody knows if you're still knocking them down at the same rate as everyone else or not. Well, and then I've got to, I've got to, we live in the state of Washington and then and KKNW is broadcast all throughout the Seattle area. And there's a group of kids that are going to end up in Washington at Washington state university, which is over at Pullman, which is like walking distance to Moscow, Idaho, and where the drinking age, I'm not sure if it's still the same, but at one, at one time the drinking age was a lot lower. And yeah. so they could go over there and have just a whale of a good time and uh, and get into problems there as well. So let me tell you, Kevin, it doesn't matter how old you are. And I'm from New England. So and, and I'm going to date myself with this term, but you know, there's a thing out here that we call the packy run. So that means when you get alcohol, you go to a package store. So if you want someone to go on a packy run, they're going to go to the package store and buy some alcohol. All you got to do is know somebody who's 21 to go to do the run. You don't have to go across state lines or any other, you know, extravagant means to to get this. So it's important that I think kids know how to drink responsibly. Um, also, you know, and, and a lot of schools are, are taking this to heart and have a policy of if you see something, call for help, no matter what it is. If you call, you will not get in trouble because that's where kids really mess up with the excessive drinking. Someone passes out, hits their head, whatever. I mean, you don't know how serious this could be. I mean, call for help they're not going to get you in trouble speaking but of calling not to get them obliterated in the first place exactly speaking of calling for help i've i've arranged for a good friend of mine that is uh um has been in college uh, fairly recently and has a, accumulated some student debt and she's on the line her name is holly and i want to bring her on the show right now holly how are you oh hello thank you so much for taking my call you are, you are so welcome. And uh, we were talking about uh, um, student debt and, and the, the latest changes and Honoraria. Did I say that right? No. Dang it. <laughs> Why don't you call me Nod, Kevin? You can handle that. I'll call you Nod. That that would be yeah, much. There easier. you go. <laughs> that would be much better. But uh, so, Holly, have you been paying attention to what we've been talking about so far? I have, yeah. I wanted to hear a little bit more about it. Um, I did make sure to apply for the most recent um, student loan relief forgiveness um, application, and I'm I'm just waiting. But a lot of my friends um, that do have student that didn't even hadn't heard about it yet, didn't know about it, um, and so I was wondering at least for myself um i know we're having to wait one update i saw was something like it was in court but my student loan bank or whoever handles my loan still 
said, to still apply for it. And so I'd love to find out more about that because I'm not well-versed in politics. <laughs> and then my other yeah. question is if you might know if when things like that happen, if it's generally considered like taxable income, or I, I would just love to know a lot more. And for all the other students out there or people who were students and now have debt as well, um, just some of the basics around it. Sure. Oh, and one more one more question that I wanted to add to that is uh, the the Fed today raised interest rates again, um, and does that have anything to do with the rates that people are charged on their student loans? Okay, so let's start with Good question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I know the answer directly for that one, but for Holly, you did the right thing right now. Um, it's pretty straightforward. It's, it's literally will take people two minutes to fill in the information. Uh, you just go to studentaid.gov. It's the same uh, primary website that handles uh, FAFSA and all that other stuff, which I think caused a crash the other day. But nonetheless, you go to studentaid.gov and they're asking that, you know, you just apply by December 31st of 2023. So there's plenty of time, uh, but I would do it now sooner than later for sure, because the application process and the receiving of the applications is open. So everyone can that's qualifies can still submit that, uh, but the ability for the federal government to grant a discharge or the forgiveness of that debt that's what's on pause right now due to current litigation. So okay. there's no reason not to submit the form and you just get, a, they'll send you an acknowledgement. They got it. And then you'll hear back from the servicer when that goes into place. Right now, payments on student loans are also on pause, I believe until December 20. Second, something like that, end of this year. Um, but there's a few things people need to know. This is not going to cover every loan under the sun. This is meant to address uh, federal funded student loans. So we're talking about the William Ford Federal Direct Loan, or just called the direct loan. There's also the Federal Family Education Loan, the FFEL. There's the federal Perkins loan that's uh, processed by the education department. And it even includes stuff like uh, student loans that are being serviced by Stafford, the parent plus loan, the graduate plus loan, the Perkins loans. And if you are someone who's a few years out of school and you don't even remember what kind of loans you got, or if they're one of these, once you log in there, you can actually go to the tab that says my aid and then you can go further to loan breakdown and actually view your loans in the details so they've they've tracked you they know which ones you got and if you're in any one of these uh types of loans then you can qualify for that and you can check on the site if that's one of your loan types and then the other thing it's it's going to depend on your gross income for either 2020 or 2021. So you can use whatever year is most advantageous to you. But the big thing too is this is for guaranteed student loans 
that were dispersed prior to June 30th of 2022. It is not for any loans that have been taken since that date. So you're going back in time and you're looking at those loans and then there's a cap on it. You know, it's it's 10,000 up to 10,000 if you have at least 10,000 in debt. And for recipients that got the Pell grants, they can get 20,000. Um, but you still have to make under that certain amount gross income for the last two years. So if you're single or married filing separate, the cap is $125,000 per year gross income. If you're married filing jointly or you're head of household, then the cap goes up to $250,000. And they even have something for a qualifying widow or widower, uh, which is also under $250,000. So that, that, that'll cover a lot of people, I think. Um, but here's an interesting little uh, tidbit that I thought was interesting. If you actually made any payments on these loans between March 13th, 2020 to December 31st, 2022, you can actually get a refund. So that's an interesting little tidbit. I might tidbit. be able to get a little bit of a refund too. Yeah, it's, it's kind of, I don't know how many people are going to fall into that very, I think, small window, but let's say you were down to a point where you just owed $10,000 and you were paying in that time frame. So now you have less than $10,000 to pay off, but the program lets you get debt forgiveness for 10 and you made some of those payments in that time block, you can get a refund back for that amount you paid in that period that brought it under 10. So I thought that was kind of neat. That is, that's exciting. I hadn't even heard about that part yet. Um, yeah, there's some interesting <laughs> tidbits there. And the other thing I thought was interesting is if you got those loans before 6-30-2022, that still covers current students. Let's say you're a senior in college right now or a junior, you've probably already accumulated $10,000 of guaranteed student loans. You can still apply. So, oh, that's good to know too. Yeah, I think a lot of folks are under the impression you have to have already graduated. So take it even a step further, kids in grad school or law school or med school, I know they have a ton of loans. So any chipping away that they can do that they qualify for this stuff would be helpful. And, and they should be looking at that. And the other nice part also, it even covers loans for folks who have been in default or even are in default right now. As long oh, as wow. you qualify the, yeah, for the type of loan and under the income qualification, even if they're being serviced now by other parties, you can still apply for that relief. So I think that's very helpful. There that's, are. Yeah, no, that's wonderful to hear about because the little bit of information that I was able to get um, when I did fill out the application did not have a lot of, a lot of that that you were able to um, help educate us with just now. Yeah, you kind of have to dig for it out there, but it, it's out there. But the form itself that they're having you guys fill out, it's, it's literally... 
name, address, social security number, and then they're gonna they're gonna track you. Um, and then after the payment pause goes away, then they're supposed to get back to you with a reamortized schedule. So let's say you get the relief whenever they're allowed to grant it. Uh, well, then the servicer is going to have to get back to you with a new loan balance that's recalculated now on the new balance and to Kevin's point at whatever interest rate it's being tracked at. Oh, that's what it is. Payment pause ends this year, 12-31-2022. So student loans are set to go back into payment status January 1st. So if you have a student loan and you're still paying on it right now, you probably should not be paying on it until the end of the year? Yes. Ah, I had one other question for you because I heard this, that, that some of the older loans that were serviced by an outside company that are not government affiliated, those have been paused or they have been told that those are not going to be forgivable. Is that true? Mm, sort of. Oh, good. <laughs> I love it when government regulations are black and white like that. Well, they are black and white, but the problem is, let's say your loan servicer has changed hands multiple times and you've been paying on a large amount of debt for several years. I'm pretty sure a lot of those people are not going to remember if they had a Stafford or a Ford or a Perkins or some other protected one. And if you go to the site and you get the loan breakdown, it doesn't matter who's servicing your loan now. It matters how they originated, even if you consolidated them. Oh, so it's it's complicated. And so, but but they'll figure but it's it out. It's trackable. It's not it's not insurmountable. And again, we're talking ten thousand and twenty thousand dollar tidbits. So. Um, it's not like they're granting everything is going to go away. But I, I still think if you can get that relief, hey, every bit helps and, and you should knock it down. And there's no reason not to take five minutes and go on the site and just fill in the very basic things they need to know that you're interested and they're tracking you. Holly, what other questions might you have? Oh, sure. I think the only other one um, I was wondering about is, if it, something like that is sometimes considered like taxable income or not, because I've never experienced uh, any big chunks of money like that before. I'm going to guess it probably will become um, taxable because if they can tax you. They probably will want to. Right. But when you're talking about taxes, I'd rather pay a percentage of tax on 10,000 than actual 10,000. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? So I'm not overly concerned about that if if you have to pay a little bit on the forgiven amount. And Very it's cool. Yeah, and especially if it doesn't like change your tax bracket, you know. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking my call. I really appreciated hearing way more than I ever knew was involved in it. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad I helped. Thanks for calling in. And then Holly, thank you. Uh, would you like to take just a moment to tell everybody about your your, uh, your the company that you own and also you work with um, uh, 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 <laughs> kmmediaproductions.pro. Would you like oh, to take sure. a moment to talk about all that? Oh, yeah. No, I'd be happy to. Um, so my company is called A 
naturaldesign.com and it's like a boutique floral hybrid um, design studio. We do normal floral, you know, out the door, fresh cut arrangements, but we also do a lot of other things on our website that you'll see like, you know, art related and such. And we help sponsor um, Positive Talk Radio and sometimes we'll be able to give out prizes, especially like the drop ship print-on-demand prizes when Kevin wants to give some of those out to the other callers. And his company, KMedia.pro, that produces Positive Talk Radio is just phenomenal to work with. They're all really nice. Well, that's because you're here. You're there. <laughs> yeah. So, so th- thank you so much, Holly. And I, I'm glad that those those answered some of your questions because, you know, that that's a really big deal. Uh, it if is, you can... yeah. I, I have $14,000 so it it will be amazing if if any of that can get forgiven. I will definitely, even if they tax some of it, I'll be happy <laughs> happy to pay the tax on it. Yeah, going from fourteen thousand to four is huge. Yeah, big, big, big. Well, yeah. but, Holly, before you go, because I've known nothing about student loans, are they? Do you when you get a student loan, are you required to pay it? every month on a regular basis or can you skip some or can you oh no you you required it's like it's like a bank loan kind of thing she's nodding her head so yeah. this is radio so you have to say yeah. something yeah. i thought you were you asking holly so i didn't like... want to like answer for her but yeah you get a payment plan and you're supposed to pay every month and if you ever get to a point where you know stuff happens and you need a, a break you can ask for a deferral or a forbearance. And they usually put you on pause for like six months. So you're not in default. They're just giving you a break. You know, you might be between jobs or you, who knows, maybe you had a baby or you have to take care of somebody and you can't work for a little while. And people don't think about it and they just say, oh, I'll catch up later. Well, that's going to hurt your credit because now you're just in default when you don't make the payment. Um, And also they're, looking at a lot of these uh, income-driven repayment uh, plans. So they're, they're really trying to introduce more flexibility into how they figure out what that monthly payment plan should be for you. Am I also correct that this is not dischargeable in bankruptcy? Bingo, bingo. It is definitely not. Dang it. Oh, wow. Dang it. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's, uh, again, this is, leads me down my path and why I was, seen so many clients with so much student loan debt, whether it was themselves or parents that had overextended on student loans to help their kids. And I'm like, what are you doing? I can't get rid of this for you. I can get rid of everything else so that, yeah, now you can pay this for the rest of your life. But um, we really should change that trajectory into a, a, a more useful uh, use of funds and time and energy for sure. So if you default on a student loan, what happens to you? Oh, you one, <laughs> <laughs> there's lots of things that can happen, just like with any other debt. You know, one is you don't want to be in default on anything because it's bad for your credit and credit really drives our economy. It's what lets you borrow new money or, or refinance and get good rates. And the worse your credit is, the worse your rates are and the less things you can do in a responsible manner. So you don't want to be in default. Um, And then when you don't pay, you get sued eventually. 
And if you don't pay your judgments that you get in court, then they start looking to grab your things like bank accounts and wages and things like that. But the worst part is that because it's a student loan and everybody knows it's non-dischargeable, there's no negotiation room really for me to do anything with because why should they take less on the dollar when they know they've got you forever? So I'm assuming then that getting a student loan is easy, discharging it is hard, and but they when you take out a student loan, and Holly, you can speak to this too, they mean it. They're serious as a heart attack. You will pay it back. You, I did have to sign several different pages and different ways of saying that I understood that I was responsible to pay back any money that I was borrowing. So they, it, at least in my experience, um, they definitely made sure to have that repetitive process of like, yes, I know, I understand, I'm taking on this responsibility and I will have to pay it back. Yeah. And, and that is, take that with a grain of salt too, because with the guaranteed student loans, you know, you swear that you're only going to use this money to pay for your school related expenses and, and whatnot. And that you are promising that you're going to pay it back under the schedule you get. And that's all fine and dandy. What they don't really explain to you is how interest works and how compound interest works mm -hmm. and um, how that number can easily go up if you still miss a few payments here or there or whatnot. But what gets interesting is after the guaranteed student loans, this is where people get really in trouble because like I said, I think if you can stick to your normal guaranteed student loans, that's a fair price. But then you get the private lenders in this sector that it's still pretty easy to go and borrow more than this amount of money per year. And I have seen people get in trouble because, well, they were living on their own. And they're at school. School's expensive. They're not working. They still want to have all the things they had before. So they borrow the student loan money and oh, they bought a car because they needed a car to get to class. And then, oh, they needed a nicer place to live than that little cramped dorm. So they borrowed enough to pay the rent and so on and so forth. And that accumulates really, really fast. And it's not a good idea. <laughs> I, oh, my gosh. I actually knew a girl years ago um, that did exactly that. She used it to buy a car and then ended up crashing it later that same week. And I just remember oh thinking, like, oh, honey. <laughs> yeah. And guess what? They don't care that you did that. You don't get to uh, say, oh, sorry, can you forgive me? Or can I, can I back out of that loan? Cause I don't have the car that I bought, bought with your money. No. <laughs> now, now if you have a kid and you and he goes to get a student loan. Do you, as a parent, have to co-sign for that or can the kid do it on his own? Well, the beauty of the guaranteed student loans is, is this is meant for the student. This is the student's responsibility, not mom and dad's. But when you go beyond these guaranteed student loans, then it's a mishmash of a lot of different things. So parents have a tendency to go into maybe uh, remortgaging their house and taking money out to give that to cover to as a bridge loan to the kid because they are spending more than what the student loan covers. And then that becomes a responsibility of the parents. And that's how they get into trouble. Is that right? 
well, sort of. If I think parents get into more trouble when they start taking the parent plus loans. And I remember the guaranteed student loans under the federal system are at a pretty low interest rate, relatively speaking. And every time you go beyond that system and further away from it in the private loans, uh, in the student loan segment, the higher that interest starts to be. Um, and they go into repayment right away. So it's it's a very different thing. Students have until they graduate and then they get a six month grace period before they pay it back. But depending on whether that loan was subsidized or unsubsidized uh, affects whether or not it's a cure, a, accruing interest from day one or not. So there's some distinctions there. But what I encourage my parents to do, if they have the means to do this, and they're responsible enough to do it, is if you have equity in your home, your equity or HELOC loans are going to be at a much lower rate generally than any of these other parent student loans are going to be. And you can use your house as your bank if you're disciplined. So I want to get my students in a situation where after the full cost of the school, which is tuition, room and board, I don't include the incidentals because I actually expect students to work in the summer and pay for their own books and incidentals. So I do expect them to do something. Um, but I do expect mom Boy, and dad. You're to mean. I just have rules and expectations. And I, I, think I like her rules. I, <laughs> I, I want kids to know that this they have responsibility and you know, they, they have to be vested in the whole process. And I think it's important to have those conversations realistically with the kids from day one. But then the parents have to cover the balance, the difference between total cost minus student loan and aid. Whatever that balance is, my goal is to get that number to be in range that a family can cover. And every family's needs are different. Some people need that number to get really small. Others can handle a bigger number. That's okay. Uh, but if you can get it down to a number they can cover, but they just don't have it sitting in the bank account right then because you have to pay in August and again in January for half and half. Let's say you take a HELOC loan for 20000 now pay yourself back over the next year as if you had a strict loan. You're just paying yourself back at a much lower rate. And if you run into some bumps along the way, well, a HELOC loan, you're only paying interest to not be in default on your loan the first 10 years of the draw. So you have that flexibility there that a parent plus loan is not going to give you and it's going to charge you a higher rate. So if you can do that every year, then you really should end up at the end of the four years with a zero sum game here because you paid yourself back every year the amount you took out. And if you run into a bump, you can give yourself a little bit of a break, but you have to be disciplined to keep paying yourself. There are so many, and, and Holly, you know this, there are so many um, areas that need to be addressed like What's the kid going to be um, taking in school? What does he want his major to be? I don't know a human on the earth that can pick at 19 years old what they're going to do for the rest of their life. I don't um, ask them to do that, actually. I, I want to know where their interest lies because I just want to know what you're geared towards so that 
we can set the table with enough options that you're going to fall into something you like. Because I really believe if you're doing something you're interested in and you enjoy, then you're going to put the time that you need to put into it to get good at it and then follow that the next step towards an internship or a job or whatever. It just, it's foundation and everything is built on one step after the other. But if you take a kid that's great at writing and you force them to go into a STEM school and become an engineer, I don't think that's going to work out so well. <laughs> you know, <laughs> They're just not going to love the work that it's going to take to get good at what the engineering needs if they would rather be writing something different. It's just you're just not geared that way. I, I, I think that's great. And Holly, I, I, the, what she is saying makes a whole lot of sense to me. Because, you know, you can't know everything as a parent. And it's, it's great to have that somebody to help you get through all of that. Because it's, it's, it is really a minefield, isn't it? It is, and it's so overwhelming. Like, you know, most parents don't have enough time to take care of just going and working full-time and then trying to make sure everybody's eaten, housed, and, you know, so having someone to help out and help guide the whole process and the conversation um, like yeah it's exactly yeah. what's going on i have i have uh, an interesting variety of families if you will i have a lot of you know first generation students so their parents didn't either go to college or through our college system so this is way beyond anything they're used to even dealing with it's it's all brand new to them so um i have a lot of that but i also have a lot of parents that work hard, make really good money. And they don't have time for this because they're already working 60 to 80 hours a week, you know, and this takes time. It takes time to do it well and to get the kids into places they should be looking at that's good for them. And also that the parents don't have to overpay for. That's my key. I don't ever want to overpay for anything. I don't mind paying for things I want. I just don't want to overpay for them. And and are you are you able and willing? As an example, you know, his grandfather was a doctor, and uh, I'm a doctor. And by gum, I think he should be a doctor too. Are you able to stand up to? I'm sure you've had that conversation once or twice. Oh, I have a story for you right along that line. <laughs> I had a, a single mom trying to you know help the kid out as much as she could, and she is a nurse, so she's you know, had a tough road, but she's made it and she has a good paying job. So she wanted her daughter to be a nurse and to go into nursing. And the kid was a little bit passive aggressive in the sense that, is this what you want? Yes, yes, this is what I want. I, I want to look into this, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so the grades weren't great, but nonetheless, there's a place for everybody. And I found her plenty of options. And out of the, let's say, nine schools or so she applied to, she got into four of their nursing programs. So she got into all nine, but out of the nine, she only got into four nursing programs. Fine. Wow, that's actually the day, really good. It's really good, right? They're really hard to get into. So anyway, she got, she had four options. At the end of the day, you can only go to one place. So fine. Don't you know the kid ended up picking the college, the one college out of the four where if she didn't start off in the nursing program, she could never get into the nursing program. That's where she wanted to go. 
<laughs> Did she <laughs> become a nurse? <laughs> of course not. She's not in the nursing program. She that was her backhanded way, or as I say, passive aggressive way of telling mom, I'm not going to be a nurse. And oh, because I'm going here and I didn't get into their nursing program. So that's off the table. <laughs> Smart kid. Smart kid. Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm... This is what I'm saying. This this kid, you know, wasn't very good at communicating her own need because you could have just told me that, you know, we, we, we could have softened the blow sooner. But I I could hear it in her in, in some of our meetings and then the mom would talk over her, ah. you know, and that's why it's not good to have mom or dad or both in most of the meetings. <laughs> <laughs> and Holly, we're about to wrap it up. Is there anything else you'd like to add before uh, we unceremoniously kick you off? No, this was a wonderful show. Thank you so much. And I learned a ton. Much appreciated. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much. It is it is a big topic, and it is a um, it's a lot of money that they're talking about, and it can it can actually change people's lives because I know that the 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 numbers are higher if you make one hundred twenty five thousand and stuff, but there are a lot of folks that are in their mid twenties that are making twenty five thirty thousand. Oh yeah. And they're not, they're not, they don't have a while to climb up that corporate ladder or in your profession to get to you know, the spot where you're making, you know, good money. It's, you don't graduate for the most part and start making six figures. That's nice, but not the norm. I wish my my son had a friend that I wish that her parents had talked to you first because um, they didn't have the money to put her through school. And she accumulated over six figures in debt, and but she wanted to be a physical therapist. Now, I, I have a know. kid who wants to be a physical therapist, and his parents have no money, but I'm planning on getting him close to a full ride at where we're looking. See, now that is music to, that would be music to her ears because she ended up going to a school, and and I don't know about back, back, back east, but physical therapists do not make 100000 or 200000 a year. No, and, and then they have to go to grad school. So you got to, you know, stretch that out. But you got to know where, one, how talented is your your student? And two, where is that talent going to be appreciated monetarily? Exactly. Because if the school doesn't have it to give to you, you're not going to get it. Exactly. And we've only got about 30 seconds left. So I want you to tell our audience anything that you would like them to know. Well, if they ever want to contact me directly, they can go to nod at personalcollegecounseling.com. There's only one L in counseling, or you can find me on the web or Instagram. And also my number is 508-622-5250. Say it again. Slower. Slower? 508. I can't write that fast. 622. 508. 508. 622. Five two, five zero. You told me I only had thirty seconds, so I was talking fast. I know. Well, we've only got about ten seconds. No, I got I've got twenty seconds left to in time enough for me to say thank you for coming on the show tonight. You have been very helpful to a lot of people. Eric, thank you for being a class engineer. Holly, thank you for joining us. And by the way, be kind to one another because you know each other's all we got. We'll see you Friday at noon. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs>